Heavenly Father, we ask now that as we come to your word that you would be pleased to speak to us by the Bible through your spirit so that we might know you better and, and love you more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit down. Well, in Australia, we speak fairly positively about idols. In fact, we've even got a TV show dedicated to it, Australian Idol. Now, when this show talks about idols, it's not talking about rocks. It's talking about rock stars. Um, but what is particular about it is it is not a religious show, as you might have noticed. And that is because most Aussies don't see a connection between idols and religion. Unless, of course, you've grown up in a culture that has been immersed in Buddhism or Hinduism or some of those other religions, in which case idol worship is something that is much more than just picking a rock star. Back when the Bible was written, it was the same. Idols were very much part of normal culture and idols were tied up with religious worship. And in fact, religious worship was so tied up with everyday life even when you went to the butcher, you would be tied up with idols in some sort of way. You might not think that picking a piece of meat is a religious experience, although some cuts are pretty nice, um, quite heavenly even. And in fact, they're so expensive, they now put security tags on them at Woolies. But in the first century, their whole thing of idolism was idolatry, was related to eating and buying of beef and other meats and that is because they often went to uh, they often would um, sacrifice animals to idols and they would offer idols the meat before it went to the markets and when I talk about idols I'm talking about the, re the genuine religious kind of idols you know the kind of statues and little things because you see in Paul's time idolatry was everywhere and so idolatry was a big thing, therefore, for the people who were going to church in Corinth. It had previously been a really big thing for followers of God in the Old Testament, but it was still an issue in the New. And that's why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, have a listen about how they describe someone becoming a Christian. It says, They keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. Their conversion to Christ is actually talked about as being a turning away from idols. And so clearly idolatry was a big thing back then. And that meant that living in a world full of idols was really tricky for the Christians in Corinth. And that was particularly the case when they went to buy meat. As I said before, it was common for the butchers to offer the meat they sold to pagan religious idols. And so pretty much everybody ate food sacrificed to idols. It was just normal to eat food sacrificed to idols. It was normal for Corinthian carnivores. But that meant it was a problem for the Christian Corinthian carnivores as well. And the problem is you couldn't actually just see that religious contamination by looking at a piece of steak. It wasn't like you did that weird pagan ritual. All you're doing is just buying a tray of sausages. So how do you as a Christian cope with meat sacrificed to idols 
when that meat was being done before you had anything to do with it? And how, in fact, should the whole church cope with having followers of Jesus eating meat sacrificed to idols? I mean, what do you do? Do you eat the meat or not? I mean, does it really matter at all? And if you think that it does matter, how do you live alongside people who think that it doesn't matter? And if you think it doesn't matter, how do you live alongside people who think it does? What if you get offended by the freedoms of others? And what if you cause other people to be offended by the freedoms that you've taken? See, this is a big issue for the church there in the first century, and it's still an issue for us today. But back then, they'd have to work out how they would manage a sausage sizzle at the church when the snags had been already sacrificed to idols. I mean, do you, do you give up your right to have these idol-sacrificed sausages? Or do you just tell the people, look, mate, get over it? That's the big issue that's facing the Christians in Corinth. And it's a really big issue because there are good and godly motivations behind the different options. So what they do, what they need to have is wisdom. They need wisdom to manage their freedom. And they want to make sure that whatever happens, they don't cause a Christian to be so rattled in their faith that that Christian ends up walking away from Jesus. It's a big issue. And the people in Corinth have got to get this right. But for us today, it's not so much going to be about literal food that has been literally sacrificed or offered to idols. That's not going to be our issue. Our issue is going to be more to do with Christian freedom and Christian unity. And so the question will be, how do we enjoy the freedoms that have come from knowing Christ? And how do we serve our brothers and sisters who find those freedoms offensive? Do we educate and correct those weaker brothers and sisters? Or do we just give up our freedoms to help care for them? Uh, This is the big thing that we're going to be looking at today as we see 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through the eyes of 21st century Aussies. Because the issue of meat and idols might be different, but the principles remain. The issue is different, but the principles remain. Now, some of you here tonight may not be followers of Jesus yet, and you're possibly trying to work out how this all works for you. It's great you're here. And what I hope you'll see is that that how we relate to Jesus is a big thing. It's not just a matter of, of just you know, getting the religion right. It's actually a matter of life and death because it's about knowing Jesus and truly knowing him and being known by him. That's why these issues matter so much. And I hope that as you're with us and hear us talk about this, it'll help you as you see why we want you to join us in knowing Jesus as well. Well, it's our 16th talk on 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 8, and it begins this way. Now, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, it starts straight away with Paul saying, okay, what's next on the list? Ah, food offered to idols. He says, okay, verse 1b, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. He seems to be quoting from what they've written in, his, in their letter to him originally. And he says, yeah, you've said we've all got knowledge. Well, he's going to talk more about that knowledge in a moment. 
But whether or not they've got the right knowledge or not, there's something that's more important. Because he says in the next bit of verse 1, But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. We're going to see all sorts of pros and cons of eating food sacrificed to idols in a moment. But before we do that, Paul wants to say, listen, before we talk about that stuff, let's get some things straight. Before we talk about those things, I want to make sure you know that love matters more than knowledge. Love is what strengthens the church. Love is what builds the church. And so it's obviously not going to be the right thing to say to others, hey, I've got knowledge that gives me permission to do this thing. Because what matters more is love. More literal translations of this verse put it this way, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's the issue, isn't it? So you can feel really proud and self-assured if you've got the right knowledge about what is permissible and what is not. But if you do what is permitted, but yet that causes trouble to other Christians, you've not loved them. You're not doing the loving thing. And love matters more than rights. You know, we are not a perfect church here at all. But there's so much about this church that is great and so much about this church that I give thanks to God for. And you know, one of those things is that we are gracious with our knowledge of matters that differ. See, not all of us agree about everything. There are differing views about some church-related things and behind those differing views is different knowledge. Now, we could try and make a really big thing about those bits of knowledge but in the end, what we've said as a church is we want to make a big thing about love. When it comes to those non-core issues, we don't all agree on everything, but we've chosen the path of love. And I've got to say that in the next couple of weeks, as we look at a bit more of 1 Corinthians, we're probably going to come across a bunch of other things where we may not necessarily all be on the same page. Those issues that are considered, in a sense, to be non-core issues, although not insignificant, of course. But the point is, in all these things, we need to prioritise love. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. <laughs> it's a great verse, isn't it? It's, but it's sad, isn't it, when someone has such confidence that it borders on arrogance. It's like... I know what I'm doing. I have the knowledge and therefore I've got the right to act that way. That's not good. They claim to know all the answers, but no, they don't really know very much at all. And they can claim to know God as well. But if they don't show love, they show they don't actually know God, which is a big problem because it says in verse 3, the person who loves God is actually the one whom God recognises, the one God knows. See, God's people put love first. And in the end, it doesn't matter how much a person knows about God. All that matters is if that person truly loves God. You know, in our church, we love knowing lots and lots about God. We grow in our knowledge all the time. Many of us are part of a growth group that meets during the week. We not only have the sermon bit, we also have a question time. 
And we even had a bonus bit from Steve this week as well and over the last few weeks. We are growing in our knowledge of God all the time. And we welcome and we value Bible knowledge. Can you hear the rain? Yeah. I'll have to speak up a bit. But in the end, you can have 10 PhDs in Bible knowledge, in theology. But if you don't truly know God, it's just a whole lot of head knowledge. And that knowledge will puff you up. But it's only love that really matters. And more than that, what matters most is whether God knows you. And that happens from whether you love God. This is all really important because it sets the foundation for what we're about to see about this big issue. And so Paul comes back to it. It's like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm getting to it, I'm getting to it. He says, verse 4. So what about eating meat that's been offered to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god and there's only one god. He repeats the question and he gives us some knowledge. He basically says, all those idols, they're just bits of stone. They're just bits of metal. They're just bits of wood. They're not really gods at all. And he says in verse 5, there may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. He basically says all those things, they're just basically so-called gods. That statue that's made of gold, guess what? It's just gold. That thing that's carved out of wood, looks like a person, uh, it's just wood. And that stone that's been carved to be like this thing you bow down to, I'm sorry, it's just rock. So you can get your meat platter and you can put it down in front of one of those rocks or bits of metal or bit of wood and you can say and do all sorts of things like that but all those gods those so-called gods they're just make-believe they that stone can't hear you it's just granite and to make this point the apostle paul says you want to know who is the true god the true god is the one who actually created everything and so he says verse six but for us there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. Right at that point where he's talking about the so-called gods, he kind of cracks open this creed. Now, I don't know if he wrote it or got it from somewhere else. People tend to think that he might have written it himself. It's pretty cool. But in this brief moment, he makes it very, very clear that there is only one God, and that's the Father. And there's only one Lord, and that is Jesus Christ. And if you work it all out there, you can see that he's sort of saying they are both God, the one God. And by whom all things were created, that is the Father, and that is the Son, Jesus. And for whom and through whom. We live for him, God, who is in three persons. In all of this, he says, you want to know what really is the knowledge about God that you've got to get in your head right when you talk about whether you sacrifice food and stuff and all that kind of thing? The bottom line is you've got to get this straight. There is only one God 
and Lord. It's an awesome statement about the divinity of Jesus. There's only one God and that is our Trinitarian God we worship. And so you think, okay, doesn't that settle it then? Obviously, all idols are just make-believe. They're just fairy tales. They're just kind of like something out of a Disney movie. You know, they're not really true, right? And so if people have got an issue with stuff related to idols, what do you got to do? They've just got to get over it. It's not true. It's just pretend stuff. Is that the way to respond? Well, have a look at verse 7. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that's been offered to idols, they think that, they've been, that it's been the worship of real gods and their weak consciences are violated. See the problem? Some people really, really think those idols are real. Maybe they've grown up being around those idols and everyone they knew and grew up with said, these are real things. And so if you get them to eat some food that's been offered to one of those idols, then they actually think that they are worshipping those gods. You can give them all the knowledge that it's just make-believe and they're like, "Uh, I actually feel like I've just sinned by eating that steak. In their conscience, they've sinned against God. And it's a problem. So what's the solution? Well, before we get to that solution, in verse 8, he says, it's true we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it. And we don't gain anything if we do. Uh, Paul really wants to make it very clear at that point that at the end of the day, it's not really about the food. Food is just food. No matter whether they've done some sort of fancy religious thingy beforehand, at the end of the day, it's just eating stuff. And so whether you eat the meat or not, if you go to a person's place that's got that meat that might have been sacrificed to idols or not, it doesn't really matter. It's not about the food. It doesn't really matter at all. We don't gain anything if we do. But I've got to say, as I was listening to that and reading that, I was thinking, but what if that means I need to cut myself off from various people who might have me around for a meal who don't yet know Jesus? Isn't that a thing? Isn't it important that I actually do eat a bit of meat sacrificed to idols because I want other people to know Jesus? Well, I think the Apostle Paul in this, he's not discounting that, but at the end of the day, there's something that really matters more. And that is the fact that it is devastating to cause someone to stumble. Verse 9, you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. When it talks about stumbling, it's talking about stumbling as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. I think sometimes we think of stumbling as, as kind of like you know stubbing your toe on a step and sort of tripping over and, and then whoop, getting back up and off you go. This kind of stumbling is a bit more like falling over and not being able to get back up again. Someone who stumbles so hard, has such a big fall, that they give up on their faith. They no longer follow Jesus. So imagine if your choice to have those sausages leads someone who's following Jesus to give up on their faith. Was the sausage that good? Was the opportunity to talk about Jesus that important that you caused a believer to stumble? That's a harder one, but well, no. The key is we need to make sure that nobody else stumbles. But you might say, yeah, that's all true, but it's my freedom. 
It's my right. I have a, I'm free to eat that steak. And God would say, yeah, 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 yeah. But let me tell you another way you can use your freedom. You're free to say no to something you actually like. You're free to give up that steak. If you're in first century Corinth, where they sacrifice all the stuff to idols before you get to Woolies, you're free to give up the sausages. You're free to give up all of that. And you're free to give it up so that you won't offend others. And you're free to give it up so that you can show love to others. That is what freedom looks like. See, people say, I am free to be me. I'm free to do what I want to do. I'm made this way. I need to live this way. I'm, I'm free to make these choices because I have a right to happiness. I have a right to fulfillment. And so I need to exercise my freedoms. I want to say, well... If you're genuinely free, then why don't you choose to do something that will serve others rather than yourself? If you've got that freedom, give up stuff to serve others. But then you've got to ask, why don't these other people who were so easily offended, why don't they just grow up? Why don't they get over their weird views about idols? I mean, I could sit down with them and show them some Bible readings and and then I could convince them, surely. Well, it's not that easy. Verse 10. For if others see you with your superior knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that's been offered to an idol? See, you might have the knowledge about idols. You might know that that bit of sausage doesn't really matter because all those idols are just fakes, right? You can justify your actions by quoting Bible passages. But in the end, in doing so, you may well offend people who are who maybe not as strong in their faith as you are as a Christian. And what's the worst thing that could happen? Verse 11, because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. Is it worth it? No. Because the worst thing is to destroy someone's faith. You might feel it's your right to do that thing, but if you do it, you may spiritually kill a weak believer, which you can't justify. Verse 12. When you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you're sinning against Christ. Someone who is in Christ, if they are offended and you sin against them, you're sinning against Christ. But what if someone just gets offended about everything? You know, what if someone says, look, I, I'm offended by you wearing boots to church. Why is that? Oh, I just think the boots is just, it sends the wrong message and I'm offended by it. Okay, what do I do about that? What if someone says, I'm offended by you having hot cross buns? Why is that? Oh, they're kind of idolatry. Right. Uh, what about the chocolate ones? Okay, those as well. All right. You think, what, what do I do with someone who's taking offence at those things? Do I say, get over it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I say, well, I'm sinning about that. He's thinking, well, how is it that eating a hot cross bun, or how is it that my wearing boots to church is causing you to sin? Is it all in the category of sin? Well, I think that as we, we look here, uh, we, we see that the next verse makes a little bit more sense of this. 
Because verse 13, the final verse today, says, if, I, if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. I think what's being said here, and we'll look at this in a bit more, I think it's saying that their reaction is not just offence, it's actually sin. They're not just offended, they are sinning because of what you've done. And that is because the thing that they're doing causes them to reject the true and living God and to actually worship other gods. So I don't think my wearing boots to church is going to lead them to worship other gods and sin in that way. And so this is more than just being someone being offended by something they don't like. It's actually when we lead them to sin. And Paul says in that situation, it's so serious, I'd rather become a vegetarian because I won't eat any meat ever again if there's any chance that that will cause somebody who's a follower of Jesus to stop being a follower of Jesus. And I think that is an awesome attitude, isn't it? But how does it apply to us today? If it's not just black boots and hot crust buns or something like that, is there something that might be a, moder- a modern-day equivalent? Well, in all of this, we need to realise that love is more important than freedom. That is what needs to be the underlying principle. Uh, a few years ago, Mandy and I were encouraged to join a yoga exercise class. And so the, we were told well, it's run by a physiotherapist and they use traditional exercises and stretches and it's not really spiritual at all. You'll just do sort of stretching and exercises with fancy names and things like that. Uh, we went along and we checked it out. We thought, yeah, that's basically all it really is. Uh, we'd done it for a little while and we spoke to someone who was a Christian and they said, oh, you do yoga classes? I said, yeah, 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 it's just sort of, it's physio, it's just sort of stretching sort of stuff. And the more we talked and the more we realised what we were doing, we realised that there were some people who might take offence at us doing that. Now, I could have said, look, those so-called gods are not really gods and they're just breathing things and stretching and stuff like that. It's not really a thing. And let me show you all the verses from the Bible. But I think we realised before too long that if we had have taken that approach to some other people who were Christians, that in doing so, it may well lead them to come to the point where they might sin. You see, if we said, look, ah, it's, it's all that religious stuff, it's not really a thing with yoga and so on. It's not really yoga at all, it's just yoga exercises. They in their head might think, well, actually, I think it is a thing. And so they do the yoga exercises. And during it, they end up thinking that they are worshipping another god. And so they walk out of that class saying, I've worshipped a different god. And I've done it because Jody was doing yoga at a class that was similar. And so they have then worshipped not the true god, but another god, and are tempted and, in fact, sinning by walking away from Jesus. Now, I might have a back that's feeling a little bit better, but it wasn't worth it, was it? So we, we decided in the end that we wouldn't go along to the yoga classes anymore, and uh, we don't do yoga anymore. Um, if you do yoga, I, I think that's okay. It's an individual situation, and, and the whole sort of situation applies to you, and you think through all those sorts of things as well. But I think that's sort of a kind of a glimpse into what this food sacrifice to idols situation is like. At the end of the day, um, it's not worth us 
doing these exercise classes if it's possibly going to lead someone to stop being a follower of Jesus. It's just not worth it. And so we made that choice. And that's why Paul will say, look, if it's any chance that eating meat is going to cause that problem to others, he's going to give it up. There are all sorts of other examples where we might decide not to do something that is permitted but is unhelpful to others. You know, maybe it might be related to when we do or don't drink alcohol around others or, or certain movies we watch or, or other examples of things we do. Um, yeah, they're, they're diff- we could talk about that over dinner and think about that as well. But the principle in all of this is we need to put love over knowledge. And, you know, it's, it's easy to do that when it doesn't cost us anything. But it's really hard when it means we give up something we really like. And that's what living a life of love does. That is what a true community of love really looks like. Because we saw this in the first verse. While knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. We've got to be ready to make sacrifices to show love. And you want to know what that looks like? Have a look at Jesus in Philippians 2. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. That was his freedom. He gave up his rights. He gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He made the greatest sacrifice of all so that he could show love to us. And because of his love, his body, the church, is now strengthened. And so, friends, may we serve like Jesus so that others may be saved from stumbling. And may we love like Jesus so that others may know him too.